Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, how do you hand over a government? Imagine if Joe Biden wins the US election this year. Will Donald Trump and his staff abide by all the rules and protocols around transitioning from one president to the next? Because despite legal agreements being signed and meticulous planning with things like landing teams, a software system built by the Obama administration for this purpose, and of course time, given that they have from November to January, the transitions in America are often marred by personnel gaps and nasty surprises left by those leaving the White House. Now, I completely digress here, but it did make me think about our own process here. We are switching from a Fine Gael-led cabinet to one of a mix of Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael and Green TDs, and they're expected to go from a Saturday afternoon in the Convention Centre in Dublin to Monday morning and doing their jobs. So how does that work? Will Simon Harris sit down with Stephen Donnelly with a list of do's and don'ts in the health department? Would Charlie Hawhey and Gareth Fitzgerald have passed each other a rundown of their achievements and still to do as they jumped in and out of the top chair in the 1980s? So to talk about the logistics of handing over a government, I'm joined by a man who has been through it all. Fergal Purcell was the government press secretary to Enda Kenny and Leo Varadkar. He is the current head of public affairs at Edelmond, Ireland and joins me on The Explainer today. Hi, Fergal. As I said, there's a lot of moving parts to this, but when does the work start and who's actually doing the work? Well, the big difference between ourselves and the American situation for a start would be that we have a permanent civil service. Generally speaking, uh, the governmental system and the way they appoint and change and transition in America is highly politicized and has to be managed very, very carefully and involves huge cleanouts. That is not the case here. So Martin Fraser will have been the most senior civil servant in the land for some years now. He's Secretary General of the Department of Antishuk. And he will have overseen this on a couple of occasions. So if you just kind of step back from from this for now and, and kind of look at how we do it or how it's been done, it's kind of like, as you say, very deliberate. So if you take it that polling day was the 8th of February and we've taken our time forming this government, uh, one would think that in many ways that that leaves a lot of time for preparation, for transition, for you know putting in place all the logistics. And that is both true and untrue. It's true in the extent that, yes, there is time. People can get their heads around it. But the other piece that's uh, interesting is it still has to happen in a day, regardless. The government leaves, the government comes in. So it's kind of the four P's is the way I kind of think about it and always have. So one is the process of literally changing a government. Then there are the protocols, both on the day and subsequent days. And then there are the people. And this is the bit that makes it interesting. You've seen it in you know, the reaction to the appointment of uh, members of the cabinet. And then there's the programme for government, which has to be very quickly turned into an actual uh, itemised, aligned, tasked piece of work that a government actually undertakes. And it, it isn't a case of it being an aspirational document. It is the working document of the next government. But so as the first answer to your kind of initial question, Sinead, uh, the process is made easy by the fact, or easier by the fact that we have a permanent civil service who are there. They are the electric fence on both sides of the country road to make sure people get to where they need to get to. We also have a constitution that is quite explicit on how things happen. So, for example, you take the UK, the Whitehall example. Parliament has no role in the, in the appointment of a government. So if Boris Johnson gets invited by the Queen 
up to the palace and things kick off from there. Certain ministers have their futures freed up. Other ministers are appointed. But in our situation, Article 28 of the Constitution sets out the responsibilities of the Taoiseach. Uh, it also contains the point around collective responsibility of that government or collective cabinet responsibility as, as becomes known. Now, in this case, it's quite historic what's after happening. We have the end of civil war politics, Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael coming together. You have the Greens central to the process and you have a COVID-19 pandemic. So all of that makes it particularly reassuring that we have segments of our constitution that can provide people with with direction. Can we just get into that a bit more? Like what is the actual process? What are the steps that are taken? So as we know, the election happens. The government is finally formed. They go in, in this case, to the convention centre and they nominate Michal Martin, uh, as it turns out, uh, for appointment by the president rather than the doll doesn't appoint him, Taoiseach. Uh, the president appoints him, but the doll nominates him for appointment. So he finds himself in a car on the way out to the Oris in Phoenix Park, receives the seal of office, he comes back in. He then appoints members of his government. Now, in this particular instance, he also went on what would normally happen uh, is that he would appoint members of a government and the chief whip. And we know the controversy around the identity, identity of the chief whip in this instance, but he also went on to appoint Pippa Hackett and Hildegard Nocton. Now, he appoints the members of his government himself. That's the prerogative. It's the constitutional prerogative of the Taoiseach. What isn't the constitutional prerogative of the Taoiseach is to appoint ministers of state. Now, that's going to uh, happening this week also, uh, and not one would expect the Wild Atlantic Way to have quite a lot of junior ministers at the end of this process, given the feedback around the initial ap appointments. But he also appointed senators. So, so the government appoints the ministers of state at the request of the Taoiseach. So the senior ministers appoint the junior ministers at the, at the uh, behest of the Taoiseach. So those three, outside of the senior ministers, Pippa, Derek Hillary and Hildegard Nocton, all had to be appointed on the back of the first cabinet meeting, which happened in this case in, in, in Dublin Castle. So they're all the kind of the bits and pieces. So you can see that big stuff happens on the back of a well-established process. It, as I said, it's also unusual that the Taoiseach would appoint his 11 Senate nominees, uh, which he did on the day. Now, you can see the wisdom in doing that in this particular instance. But normally what would happen, and I have a memory of this, is that the senior appointments are made. Everyone's very happy. They're sending out press releases to say how honoured they are and etc. Then the reaction is waited for to see, you know, where what we need to do in relation to junior ministers in terms of skills, geography and gender. And also the same principle is often applied to the senators. Now, that didn't happen in this case. We don't have time. I mean, I, 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 you're not in terms of process and everything else, this government is is not going to have even a weekend break, never mind a honeymoon. So then you're into the people, you're into who's going to be the advisors, who's going to be the government press secretary. How important to that is the kicking off of a government? Like, When can they actually start their jobs? Would all of this planning have happened beforehand with people presuming they would have got, gotten ministries? Um, or is this all going to take a while to, to bed in? 
Uh, special advisors are appointed under the Public Service Management Act, Section 11 of that Act. And this is fascinating stuff, really, because, you know, some people have to hold their nose around this, that unelected people end up having a lot of sway. And they do. And Michal Martin is on the record. I remember him previously saying the importance of that because they have detachment and independence. Their careers aren't necessary, even though they are coterminous with the person who appoints them. Uh, they are critical appointments because you need someone who's around to be able to tell you the truth, who would be loyal to you, who has your back. Um, and in the case of the Taoiseach Tánaiste and any party leader who is a member of government, they have an unlimited number of uh, advisors that they can appoint. So in the case, uh, so that means Eamon Ryan, Leo Fradker and Michal Martin can surround themselves with as many people as they want no one ever does that number one the optics are terrible but number two actually too many voices is as bad as too few but what's interesting in this instance is that Fine Gael will have had a very established team notwithstanding the fact that people lost their positions in many cases and that there's a surface of uh, advisors now without jobs and um, having had a good stint in fairness it's nine years in many cases um, five and six and other cases but they kind of know what they're doing so they'll know uh, and this is kind of the next piece of the process this is where process and program meet the civil service will be attempting to put manners on the program for government if you like and in that process if you aren't experienced um, your agenda and your priorities as a minister need to be protected and insulated from that, the early days of the program for government being laid down probably within the Department of Antishik for oversight. Is there any um, certain ways that that happens, like the Secretary General meeting the Minister? Um, it may often be for the first time, say for someone like Norma Foley, who's never been a TD before. She'll have to get a, a relationship with the sec Secretary General of her Department in Education now. Like what, what generally happens? Is it formal meetings? Is it, you know, coffees in the canteen? I mean, there's a formal brief and handover and process that each department puts in place for the minister a series scheduled set of briefings and meetings it's not rocket science necessarily but it is a series of uh, of of engagements and uh, an instruction on an awareness around the uh, of the structures of the department the creation of a brand new department in the case of simon harris which i think will require legislation uh, unless they delegate unless they hive out areas of other departments uh, and use ministerial orders or government orders to do so. But I, I like it, it, it's uh, I, as you would assume it to be, it's a sit down. And you know what? The most important conversation, couple of conversations might be Norma taking the private secretary aside, taking the sec general aside. The private secretary is essentially in charge of the minister's life, a professional life, if you like, and ensuring that their advisors get on with these people and that you form a bond. However, you don't have to necessarily fall in love with the person, you know, you know, uh, from the outset in a professional sense. You don't have to, you know, a professional relationship made in heaven. It doesn't have to be like that. All good relationships are ones that are built slowly in this regard, but that you must be intentional. You must look to the people like you're trying to do it. How common is it, Fergal, that the outgoing minister will sit down for a, a chat with the incoming minister, um, like a helpful chat, I mean? There's no formal process involved in this, uh, Sinead, but um, 
experience uh, has made me aware that th there can be a lot of contact. Uh, I would expect that it would be very different this time, given Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael are in together, and that people who would have been on opposite sides of the fence subsequently are actually in the same cabinet room and can share um, share expertise. Um, I've heard of letters, warm letters of advice being left behind for, for ministers um, previously. Uh, you'd imagine that Simon Harris will be talking to Stephen Donnelly fairly extensively. At least if I was Stephen Donnelly, uh, I'd be asking for a cup of coffee in the canteen on a fairly regular basis at the start. And that kind of, you know, the the, the humility needed to do that will, will be a pillar underneath this government. Um, why there's no formal process, it definitely does happen. So we're still, even though this is a bit different now because we've Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael working together, but there's really been no history of a, a full handover from one, one minister to the next. So it's really much more about the Secretary-General and the people in the department making sure that there's continuity. Absolutely, and, and they do. And that, that's the, it's, uh, it's why I would have invoked them from the very outset here, which is to say that that's the continuity. That's where the continuity lies. But you are right like people who would uh, have been on opposing sides uh, previously are, are now sitting beside each other. You know, it isn't just the end of civil war or politics. Uh, it is the end to the adversarial across the floor of the House because it's Sinn Féin who are over there now and Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael and the Greens are in bed together. And um, one would expect there to be the sharing of corporate uh, experience and knowledge across that government, across the cabinet table. You can imagine that Simon Harris would be on the end of the phone to Stephen Donnelly as required. You would imagine one of the things, though, about that civil service being kind of the the the, the ever present. And um, there is a lot of changes within that because of the reshuffling of departments and the creation of new departments. So what happens to so say we have, you know, Catherine Martin's huge remit of culture, arts, media, um, sport, uh, tourism and the Gale talk. So she, she'll be piecing things together from other departments. How does that physically work if the civil service, do they change buildings? Do they get a new building? Um, do people's jobs change straight away? Or does the department reconfigure itself so that people's jobs stay the same? Uh, it's, it's a bit of all of it. Um, it's kind of, and I'll be straight on this, it's talent related. Um, so you, you go through the restructuring, there's a delegation of functions which are made by government at the request of a senior minister. So uh, Catherine will have to delegate functions within her department. She can't do all of that. So when the junior ministerial positions are finalised, she will be able to delegate functions. The well, government will delegate them, but at her suggestions. And then people do move with projects. Um, or, uh, as I've seen as well, this can get a bit awkward where a person who is associated with a particular piece of work, say broadband, uh, gets moved. Uh, the department might want to might not want to lose them given the scale of the challenge that they themselves are facing. So there can be a bit of over and back on that. But it's it's usually done fairly coherently, but it takes time. We're all we all assume that the government is now a fait accompli in terms of its formation and structure. There'll be a number of weeks here where all of this is getting tidied up. As you can imagine, I mean, if a business was to go through a restructuring, they take months and sometimes years to do it. We have to do it in a matter of weeks, and they do, and they do. So it's a balance between the delegation of functions, talent staying or leaving a department, depending on the sec gen's wishes, 
uh, and then particular projects themselves and do people travel with them. And who's in charge of all of that? Who's in charge of deciding, okay, no, you're going to stay in what used to be sports and tourism, but you're going to move over to this new role over here? Basically, Martin Fraser, the Secretary General of the Department of Strategic, has a conversation with all the sec gens and the Assistant Secretary Generals and the Principal Officers. So it's kind of worked out that way. But it kind of, Martin is at the centre of the circle. And uh, he, you know, he has to decide not only what happens in his own department, but what's feasible in relation to other departments. Now, having said that, departments have huge autonomy. And as once this is all sorted out, and it is a conversation to answer your question between the sec gens themselves and their HR and personnel people in conjunction with the ministers. But once it all settles, ministries have massive autonomy, both in terms of the constitution and in terms of the practical carrying out of their duties. Like I noticed it when I was in there as, sec- as government secretary, government press secretary, that you know, marshalling the message in relation to specific departments sounded easy, but wasn't, uh, because you might have a particular minister in a, uh, in in a, in in, in a, a particular party that might you mightn't have been associated with, who might have a view on a particular issue that wasn't necessarily in concurrence with the the, the government position, and the press officer would defer to the minister. That's what I noticed not to this government press secretary. And that that plays out across the board, if you like, uh, on issues where the minister has massive power. And uh, like like the teacher appoints the ministers, after that, once the delegation of functions are settled, the minister has enormous autonomy and, and usually uses it very, 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 uh, very strongly. There was a bit of a move, I noticed, back to kind of centralise thinking, especially during COVID. It seemed to me that the Department of Antishuk, in conjunction with Neffet, were in charge, and that all the government departments fed into that, especially through John Cannon's kind of communication structure, which which worked really well. But I, I uh, in terms of the initial delegate, uh, a portion of functions, it is done between the sec gens and individual secretary generals in the departments. Would that come into play when the Taoiseach is deciding who gets what ministry, that, oh, we need someone strong because the sec gen of that department is quite difficult to get on board? Or does does any of that, or is it more, you know, the, the geography, gender, skills thing, or, you know, I need to keep these five people in cabinet beside me rather than this department could do with someone like him or her, or, or this person has the, the correct expertise for it? The honest answer to that is it's nothing to do with the Secretary General whatsoever or any personalities inside the department. They, one of the things we count ourselves, we should count ourselves to my mind very fortunate of is the ability of those civil servants to detach from the kind of the politics of it and to take on board what, what needs to be done. Having said that, it's more issue driven to my mind even more so than it was. So government departments are have fallen away from the traditional kind of very, very calcified set of responsibilities that they had had for years. And now government departments, not necessarily the 15, but within each government department, they are much more attuned and aligned with issues. Uh, I mean, take Roger Gorman, for example, uh, in relation to uh, integration. I mean, for a senior, and you know, children integration for integration to be getting a senior role. I mean, that's that's an indication that the Taoiseach and Tanishta are thinking around 
the importance and the uh, the upcoming challenge about avoiding polarization in Irish society, you know, and to make sure that what happens here isn't what happened elsewhere on both sides of us. So, so the, I would say the junior ministries will be assigned to issues. So you will see you will see that the names of junior ministries will be very recognisable in relation to an issue. Even Hildegard's one is already in that. Uh, even Pippa Hackett's. Uh, title is already in that space of very identifiable as to what the issue is rather than any personality in the in the in the in the department over the years there have been people who have given been given ministries Fergal where they have absolutely no experience whatsoever they'll have never been a spokesperson for that portfolio before they'll have no previous experience in it um how do they get ready and what are the approaches that they take do they shut up until they learn the whole thing or do they you know defer to advisors and and the department um what what is the process around around that if you've never done the job before um, and this is your first ministry and you've just been elected a TD, for example, it's kind of like learning the violin and playing a concerto live at the same time. Uh, but, you, but they are brilliant at intuiting what needs to be done because politicians, by their nature, are public servants and a minister is just another version of a public servant. It's a combination of what you said, that a lot of reading, a lot of listening and a lot of intuiting. Uh, one of the, you mentioned earlier, Simon Harris has to set up a, a new department, and he's talked about this already uh, this week about how he's setting about doing that. But who actually does set about doing that? Like, I presume Simon Harris doesn't have to go find himself a building. <laughs> uh, well, uh, he might. Um, uh, obviously, uh, he might have views around uh, what what property or what what. Uh, Real estate is available, but I, I don't think that's the important piece, if you like. But no, he doesn't have to do that. Uh, what he has to do is provide, a, and it's a, it's a serious opportunity. He can structure his department to meet the needs of higher education, innovation and research. That's a serious opportunity. So does he build elements and divisions within the department that have direct links into the research elements of all the universities directly? Does he establish a process where all the presidents of all the colleges are on versions of cabinet committees? He can he can do all that. He he needs. I, I have to. I'm going to have to confirm this and, and have a look at it. But in 2011, we need a primary legislation to establish the Department of Expen, um, Public Expenditure and Reform. How long did it take to for that department when it was being set up, expenditure and reform? And to, to, to it feeling like a fully stocked, you know, even down to lanyards, letterheads, you know, websites. How long did that all take and who was in charge of that process? It took weeks and basically they had to appoint uh, people from within the existing Department of Finance just to get it done. And they had to splice, splice out. Now, there was already a natural division within that department. I don't mean that in the polarised sense. There was already a natural as often happens, finance is an enormous department in 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 terms of responsibilities. There's always already a natural break between public expenditure and what we would call finance and the management of of uh, of finance. And um, there was always an argument to say that public expenditure should be separate to to um, to other issues around finance. But it took weeks. But they got it done really well and really quickly. Like one of the pieces of work that John Concannon has done is to streamline government in terms of all of that stuff around 
emblems, logos, uh, email addresses, all of that, all of that work, stuff that needed to happen that makes a government look streamlined that had happened in Holland previously and that we've now done. And you can see it at podiums when governments or government ministers are speaking. So I would suggest that it'll happen fairly seamlessly, but it will take a while. It will take a while. He's setting up a department. I would say it'll take weeks, uh, even if it doesn't need primary legislation. Uh, but it, I mean, it would be a bad idea not to have a separate building in terms of identity. Uh, you need a footprint. One of the things, so they're all kind of doing their job now, or they're all actually doing their job now, not kind of. For, for those who maybe have unexpected ministries or have ministries that aren't, weren't necessarily their portfolio before if they were spokespeople, how quickly can they possibly get read fully? Like how, how possibly can they get read into the job and also settle on their priorities? And who do they give those priorities to? Uh, that's a really good question because it is the most important element of taking over the role. So you talked about people who've never been in the jobs before. You know, you talked about people with no experience, other people with experience. And I remember meeting a couple of ministers at the start and the sense of being overwhelmed is quite palpable. That's why the advisors are so important. There's no possible way that you can read into everything. So there's a bit of a cheat sheet in some sense, and it's done before you ever get the department at all. And one of the things that, you know, um, one particular individual spoke to me about was they sat down with their advisors, two, literally the three of them sat down with a white piece of paper and said, what do I want to do in this department? Like, what absolutely do I want to do? What do I want to achieve? What do I want to get done that's in the national interest? What am I obliged to do? And then to begin to think about what the priorities within that context before you get handed a file, before you get handed a file, because the department might have priorities as they see it in the context of the, pro the programme for government, or maybe existing pieces of work that are continuing, uh, even though all bills fall when the government changes, uh, uh, but a sponsor, a sponsor of a bill can, can re-energise it. But they might want to continue some pieces of work. So I think you have to go in with absolute clarity about what you want to do and have th your three priorities. Now, if you were part of the Programme for Government negotiations or if you were part of the formulation of your own manifesto, that's not going to be a million miles away from what's going to be there anyway. Uh, and you, know, you would have had a say about what went into the Programme for Government in relation to your own area. So, you know, I mean, you can already see Stephen Donnelly you know, he has nailed his colours to the COVID mask. I'm going to deal with this first. I'm going to, you know, this is my priority. It remains the case that we are in a crisis on this issue. You know, there you go. Like Pascal knows I need to manage the resources of the state to make sure that whatever checks we write, we can pay back in due course while servicing all the needs of the, of the country. Uh, social protection, we need to talk about, you know, COVID payments. To what extent can we afford to keep paying those? Do we keep paying them or do we keep paying the wage subsidy scheme first? All the big, big questions. So you can see what the priorities would be for individuals. Normal has to deal with going back to school. The, the public sector pay deals are going to be very interesting now uh, for, for Michael McGrath. No one's talking about them. I think they're going to be interesting and how that's all going to be dealt with. So so that's how you do it. That's what you do to avoid getting hazed. Would, would hazing happen? I don't think it happens intentionally. Like, I, I don't think it happens intentionally, but it does happen. I mean, I remember we were on the way over to Brussels and they were just handing these files to Enda. 
Like there was, like War and Peace was a chapter, you know, and it was file after file. And Taoiseach started, sorry, could you read, could you have a quick read of that? You know, there's no quick reading. This is people within his department. Yeah, there's no quick reading of that now. That's not, you know, could you have a, a look at that? You know, everyone knows that, you know, so, so what, what Enda did and, and, and what we did and what people do is, what do I absolutely need to know going into this room now? And what do I, what's urgent for me to know? What's important for me to know? And what, what, what's nice to know? And that's why we did it. And you just do the reading on that basis. Um, it's not intentional to, to haze people, but of course it happens. I mean, there's a minister sitting down somewhere today, you know, listen to this podcast or not, doing what they do. They're already of time to be listening to podcasts. They're probably over, up to their eyeballs in, in stuff. And they're probably asking themselves, how in God's name am I going to do this? And that's a good sign. That's a sign that they've seen the scale of the job ahead of them. If they're not feeling that, you know, the penny hasn't dropped. Would their advisors be in place now? In some cases... Yes, but in most cases, no. Like the Fine Gael people who have retained office, yes. And uh, the Fianna Fáil people coming in, I'm hearing all sorts of stuff going around about it, who's getting what job and all that sort of stuff. And that's nice tittle-tattle and all that. Um, but they wouldn't be in place in, in, in completely by now. They would have people, because they, they have constituency offices as well, they have people they trust. They need to have people around them that they trust, that they have worked with for years, that they can just talk to on a human level. You know, politicians are human beings. They're in a new job. They need a bit of emotional support. Uh, you know, all the stuff that applies to you and me applies to them. And uh, so they would have it around. But no, the, the appointments aren't, aren't complete at this stage. When do you think this government will be up and running 100% that, you know, all of this betting in will be done? In your experience, how long does it take? If, if, if you're not, if you're not, I mean, I think they're already making decisions. Uh, they're already fulfilling their mandate. Uh, I think they are up and running, but for the machine to get anyway well oiled, four to six weeks to get anyway well oiled, you're looking at that. Thanks, Virgil, for joining us today for those insights and for the stories of your own time with these government handovers. Um, thank you for joining us on the explainer. Thank you for listening to the explainer, and a big thank you to Virgil for joining us on this episode. If you read the journal, you may have seen our appeal in the past few months for you to support our journalism. It's a difficult time for media as advertising revenues fell drastically during the COVID pandemic. But we are and want to keep providing you and the rest of our 800,000 daily users with valuable, accessible journalism. Loads of you felt it's important for society to have that open access to news and good information like this podcast, and you have contributed. A lot of you asked if there was a way you could give more regularly, and we now have options for you to become a regular contributor. And if this is something you'd like to do, please head to thejournal.ie forward slash contribute for details. This episode of The Explainer was brought to you by executive producer Christine Bohan, producer Aoife Barry, and assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan. If you're enjoying these episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. And more importantly, share with a friend who you think will enjoy them. Thank you and catch you next time.